I don't know if, so for those of you who have uh, the privilege of having been a parent, uh, do you remember what it was like as you prepared for the birth of that first child? And I remember all these things that we were getting ready for, and right off the bat, you know, Sandy says, well, I, you know, I've been reading about natural childbirth, and I want to do that. And, and so we go to these Lamaze classes for six weeks, and we learn about breathing exercises and pain management, and, and we were all ready until the labor pains hit. And it wasn't long before the heavy labor pains came and Sandy was quickly converted to, the, to the, all the uh, values of epidurals. And, and it's like, why did we go through all that for just, well, anyhow, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna argue with her when she's in labor. That was bad, not a good idea. And, or, or I think about, we went for the first ultrasound. And now you've gotta remember, for those that are pregnant now, it's the ultrasounds 25 years ago weren't quite as clear as they are now today. And uh, so they're looking at it, and the technician is going through and saying, well, here are the legs, here are the arms, and I'm sitting there saying, yeah, look at that. But in reality, I didn't see anything that was all recognizable. Now, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about differences in men and women. Now, women may not be aware of this, but most men never like to admit that they don't know something. I know it's a surprise to you. But, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there, and, and I don't want to admit that I don't see anything. So I figure I'm going to fake it. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm looking at the screen and I say, well, it looks like her face is going to be kind of round. And, and the technician looks at me and smiles, nods her head and says, that's, that's her butt. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not even going to pretend. And we're trying to prepare. We're reading these books. We're, we're doing all this. And, and we're so excited about having a child. And I remember that moment when she was born and that, you know, doctor puts her in my arms and, and, and there's a, wonderful joy, but there was also an incredible moment of terror, of saying, I'm now responsible for this child. You know, I've got to not only provide for her, I've got to raise her, I've got to try to teach her and, and love her and, and help her to grow to be a godly woman. I don't have a clue how to do it. In fact, I'm, I'm sitting there with, holding the baby and the doctor, and I'm kind of looking, and I'm, and I'm hoping that there's an instruction book come out with her, you know, just kind of, I'm hoping that there is, because I don't really know. Now, for those of you who were there, you remember it's not only that moment of terror, but it keeps going because as the baby grows and you start to figure it out, they then go to a new stage. And every time they get to this new developmental stage, everything changes and you got to figure it out again. And, and then we have a second child and we think, okay, well, now I've got this figured out. We've kind of been through this before. And the second one comes and she's totally different than the first. Everything that worked with the first doesn't work with the second. And I remember then the third pregnancy, and I think, okay, now, now I at least know that the child's going to be different. I know enough to be prepared. I can expect that. I'll adapt. And, and then God throws another curveball, and we find out it's twins. I don't have a clue about twins. Suddenly, I'm overwhelmed in a new way. And we're, we're, here we are. We're, we're lost. We're struggled. And, and you know what? We're still trying to figure it out. And now my kids are all in their 20s, and I'm thinking, okay, now how do, I, you know, how do I figure out how to parent these kids that are now in their 20s? And how do I love them? And I've got a son-in-law now, and how do I love them? And, and my oldest daughter now, she's told us she, she's pregnant. She's due in April. We're excited about that. We're thrilled. But now I've got to figure out how to be a grandparent. And there's all these things that we're saying, how we're we supposed to figure it out? And here's what we need to realize. Yeah, we live in a culture where there's a ton of confusion, and, and, and no, our children didn't come with a set of instructions, and, and they're all unique, but while there wasn't a unique set of instructions there that came out when they were born, 
there is a sense of instructions that were given by their, by their manufacturer, by their creator. And now some people would argue, well, times have changed, and, and as times have changed and culture has changed, some people say the nature of kids have changed, they would then argue that because of that, the parenting advice from the past no longer is relevant, it doesn't work. Well, there's a sense that things have changed. We can look at that, and we can look at some of the unique challenges of our time, you know, social media, and how do we deal with that, and the depression and the stress that that brings, and a culture that's pushing an LBGT agenda from children's programming to the schools, to the negative effects of the COVID lockdowns and, and you know, drug pandemics and all these things. These are things that you couldn't have imagined 50 years ago. But in a sense, while things have changed, there's also a sense that they really haven't. That what we're dealing with is, in a sense, a, a new expression of a timeless challenge. You know, we have had this challenge for, you know, for all times past of saying, how do we raise our kids? And there are some new expressions of that. But the fact of the matter is, is the needs of children haven't changed. Core human nature hasn't changed. God's truth has not changed. And therefore, his instructions are every bit as relevant, every bit as practical today as when they were first given. Human nature hasn't changed, sin nature, and, and again, all that God tells us about how to raise kids. And so how do we then deal with this? In fact, even if you want an example of how things really haven't changed, let me share a quote of somebody that was talking about the challenge of raising kids and what he saw and the challenge and how things were changing. He said this, oops, I'm sorry, it's, um, I don't have a slide with this one. He says, you today love luxury. They have bad manners, they have contempt for authority, no respect for older people. They talk nonsense when they should work. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, tyrannize their elders. Now, who was this describing the youth of today? Well, it was a man named Socrates, who was a Greek philosopher who lived 400 years before Christ. And some of us might say, well, that sounds like today. Well, that's what you see. While there's a sense that things have changed in the last few decades, there's also a sense they really haven't changed in the last 2,500 years. And so what we see is that God gives us timeless advice, timeless principles and teaching that would tell us how to raise our children, how to raise our grandchildren, what we are to do. And you see this through the Bible. One of those passages are what we read a few minutes ago in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I want to read it again, but I want to point out something that is, that is stressed in this teaching. Let's go back to Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then it continues, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want you to see it starts with obey in the Lord. It ends with teach them in the Lord. Everything here is built on this idea that, that God has established a structure and an authority in our parenting, a structure of, of authority and submission. See, God's word doesn't just say, okay, children, obey your parents, boom, you know, because that's the right thing to do even. Nor does he tell parents, okay, just figure out how to, you know, give your kids instruction and give them the right discipline. No, it's in the Lord. There is a structure there. There's a, uh, a structure when in that, authority, that structure it says that there's a line of authority 
And God is the ultimate authority in that structure. See, in my life, in your life, in our kids' lives, and even in the world around us, it is God who is the creator and the designer. He's the one who has the right to decide what's right and wrong. We're all going to be accountable to him. And not only that, but he has created us and he's created our world with, with a, in a sense, a, a design and a structure, a moral design and structure. And so when he commands us to do something, or in this case, even to organize our family in such a way, it's not that God, in a sense, is just making up you know, rules. Well, I've got to prove to them I'm command, so let me make up these rules and just force them to do it just to prove that I'm in charge. No, what you have is everything taught in the Bible is not only an expression of God's character, but it's also an expression of how he's built that into the moral fabric of the world he's created. So what that means is when we obey his commands, when we align ourselves with his teaching, as a result, we're going to be healthier and we're going to be happier because we're, we're aligning our life with what's true. But on the other hand, when we ignore his teaching or reject his authority, the result will always be eventual brokenness. So ultimately, at its core, all sin is when we question God's authority and when we re- his wisdom and reject his authority. We think of sin as sinful acts and things that we do, but the sinful acts are really just the fruit of this core issue of saying, God, I really don't think you know what's best. God, I therefore reserve the right for myself to make my own decisions because I think I know better than you. Times have changed. I you know, I know better what, what should work and how I should live my life. See, ultimately, it starts with saying God is this ultimate authority. But then as we get into the whole structure of the family, we realize that God is that ultimate authority, but he's then taken some of that authority and he's delegated to, to parents. And so parents are God's delegated, God's, God's delegated authority within the family. So again, let's look at verse four. What does it teach? It doesn't say, okay, parents teach and discipline your kids by what seems right to you, by, by the standards that, that are appropriate within the culture. No, it's, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me point out a couple things it's implying. To be faithful to this call, it first of all means that as parents, we're spending some time in God's word. You see, how can I bring my kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord if I don't know what that is? See, I've got I've to know God's word. I've got to know it myself before I can teach it to them. It means that our rules and the values in our home should be consistent with God's word. It's, our, our home shouldn't be defined by the values of our culture or the, even the values of what we were raised with before in a, in a different time. Ultimately, we're saying, okay, God, what are your values? And I want to raise my family in a sense that reflects those values. But there's one other really important thing I'm going to touch on here, and I'm going to come back to at the end of the message. And that is that this all implies that there's a system of authority and submission, and that we as parents are not the top of that hierarchy. When God calls us to submit, you know, say, submit to your parents, there's a sense that he's saying, okay, why? Because that's under the Lord. And that means that as parents, we are submitting to God. He's the ultimate authority within the house. We are under his authority. You see, even in this command, children obey your parents as to the Lord, there's an implied command in that as well. It's not only that we are parents and we're telling our kids that they should do that, but we are at the same time God's children. He's our heavenly father. 
And the question is, am I submitting to my heavenly Father in my own life? And, and here's the reality, for better or for worse, the degree that we submit to God's authority in our life or that we don't submit to God's authority will be an example to our children about how they should submit to us. You know, part of what God's call here is, is for us as parents is to provide this example of discipline and, and instruction, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, um, and we might look at that and you say, well, obvious that's, you know, that's obvious that we're called to provide discipline and instruction. That's what parents are supposed to do, right? Now, we might think that, but unfortunately in our culture increasingly, that is less and less obvious. Far too many parents anymore really don't spend that much time teaching and disciplining. A lot of times we're motivated to be our children's friend, and in their attempt to be their friend, we kind of stop being the parent. In fact, many of us have been out. It's not uncommon to see a toddler, two- or three-year-old, that is in total charge of their parents. They're yelling, they're screaming, doing whatever, and the parents are basically saying, okay, what do we have to do to obey you to get you to stop yelling? And, and, and often, it's, you know, that's, it's, they're giving into this demand. Now, there's a reason that there's a problem. And some of what we're gonna, I'm going to say here goes against conventional worldly wisdom. It might even sound offensive to some. But what we've got to realize is it all flows from a view that I think is flawed. See, just, anybody, just about anybody that gives advice on parenting or gives you know, all kinds of how we're supposed to teach children, come, coming at it from a non-biblical worldview starts with the assumption that children are morally good or morally neutral. And that's the value in our culture now. And because they're morally good, then therefore what we need to do is we need to just empower them and give them the opportunity to discover themselves and to express themselves. So you hear a lot about talking about, you know, kids need you know, self-esteem. We need to just tell them that, that you know, they can do anything. And, and how many kids' movies? That's the theme. You could be anything you want, anything that, you know, you can just pursue it. You can discover it. Or now it's all the stress on, you know, um, self-actualization. So we need to break away from the boundaries of expectations and of rules, and we need to help kids find their own identity, find their own truth, and even to the point where now find your own gender and decide if you're male or female, because it's, it's all about finding who you are. And so you see, even culturally, we want to do away with things like Ten Commandments and rules that would give restrictions, and, and so then we don't have Ten Commandments in schools. We won't say, thou shall not kill, and then we're surprised when kids bring guns into schools and shoot each other. There's something broken there. And ultimately, part of it is it's a wrong expectation, wrong foundational belief that, that kids are born morally good. No, the Bible teaches that, no, we actually have a sin nature. And our children, from the time that they're born, are, have this sin nature, that they're born with this natural tendency towards sin. And if you give them the opportunity, it's going to go towards you know, sin and folly. That's where they're going to go. Example, Proverbs 51 teaches this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And, and, and uh, um, David is saying, I realized that from the time that I was born, that's part of who I was. And so our children are born with this sin nature, and they need a destruction and discipline to not only recognize that sinfulness, but to learn to fight against it. So, for example, you have in Proverbs 22, it says, folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And we see this from the time that they're young. I mean, I've shared, some of you heard me share this story before. I remember my oldest. 
you know, she is, you know, one year old. And, you know, back then, Barney was the big thing. And, and I remember we're sitting there preparing dinner. She's watching Barney. And we say, okay, Tiffany, it's time to come to dinner. And, and she just keeps watching. I says, Tiffany, I told you it's time to turn off Barney and come to dinner. She just keeps watching. So I come down and I kneel by her and I said, Tiffany, I told you it's time for dinner. And I turn off the TV and she whap, slaps me. I mean, she is right across the face. And I'm sitting there, where did that come from? You know, I didn't teach her to do that. She doesn't see that. You know, is Barney teaching her to do that? And the fact is, what? No, it's in nature. That's something that is part of, I mean, how, did any of you teach your kids to say no? They learned it on their own. Why? Because sin, folly is bound up in the heart of the child. We're born with this in nature, but we need to provide discipline, teaching, to drive it far from them. Now, even though we're called to do this, the fact is there's a natural reluctance that we have to do it. Some of it, you see it in the command itself. When God calls us to say, parents, do this, he's commanding us to do something that doesn't come naturally. I mean, if, if it was natural, God wouldn't have to tell me to do it. But the fact is, because it's not natural for me to do it, God has to give me not only the command, but teaches me how to do it. I'll admit, in my parenting, I was not a natural disciplinarian. I know that I would tend to err on the side of being too lenient. And I would like to have claimed in the past, well, that was because I was loving and I was compassionate, and I just had a hard time being tough. And... But I want to tell you, you know what God taught me over time? He convicted me that my challenge was not that I was too loving towards my kids, but that I wasn't loving enough. My struggle was not that I was too loving or too compassionate. My struggle with discipline was that I was too selfish. Now, why do I say that? Well, because I knew and understood in my heart that God had entrusted me with the responsibility of providing my kids that discipline and instruction of the Lord that they needed. That their greatest need was not that they would be happy all the time or that they would you know, have an easy life or that they would always enjoy a warm, you know, comfortable, fuzzy relationship with me and, and that we would never have any stress. No, their greatest need was that they would grow to maturity, that I would help shape their hearts so that they would grow in maturity in all areas of life. Now, the reason that I ultimately struggled with discipline is that I would have personal desires that would be threatened if I actually followed through instructing them or teaching or correcting. So I have this desire for peace. I have this desire for harmony. I have desire to have a night where we don't have kids crying and we don't have struggles. And, and, and ultimately, I realized that if I need shepherd my child, if I confront them, if I teach them in some way, it's going to involve some battles. It might involve them getting mad at me. It might involve a difficult night or a difficult week of, of the you know, fallout from some, some uh, strained relationships and from conflict and, and discipline. And a lot of times, practically, I wouldn't have ever said this, but practically it was like, I'm just too selfish to go through the effort of doing this. I would rather just kind of keep things good than actually put the priority of actually helping shape my kid's life. You know, I have a selfish desire. I want my kids to like me. I want them to think that I'm a nice dad. I don't want to risk that relationship. And, and so often, again, out of that selfishness, I would avoid doing the things that I need to do. And then and that God, you know, started to become a better dad when I realized that, that it was battling against that selfishness. Why? Because discipline is one of the most difficult things that we do as parents. It's also one of the most important. And usually we avoid doing it because it's just difficult, it's painful for us. 
But the loving thing to do is to move beyond our selfishness, move beyond our own desires, and to say, you know, I'm going to sacrifice that upon my, for what I want to invest in the long-term health and growth of my kids. Even a convicting passage is what the Bible says in, in Hebrews 12 about God. It says, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. And he's talking here about our relationship with God. And he's saying, as a child of God, God expresses his fatherly love in that he disciplines us. And at times that's uncomfortable. And he says, okay, if we don't have that discipline, then the absence of that shows that we don't have that relationship. We don't have that fatherly love. Now, as we apply it here, that means the absence of my discipline If I'm doing that, that shows that I'm not loving my kids right. I'm not loving them. The inconsistent discipline shows shows a lack of love. I'm not willing to sacrifice and do the hard work of parenting. God calls us to do that. But it's not based, again, on, you know, just harmony or doing my rules. No, it's ultimately we're called to do that under under the source of the call that God calls us to do it and under his authority. So as parents, we should teach our children to obey and honor us as their parents. But we need to be re- clear why. Why they should honor us, why they should respect this. Again, these are things I really struggled with as a younger dad. You know, as a young dad, I remember that, um, you know, I would try to teach my kids even ideas about, you know, honoring people and saying thank you and being polite and speaking properly to people. And, but I didn't always do that for, for expectation for how they treated me. And I had someone who was wise enough and who cared about me enough to notice that and to call me on it. And he had asked me, you know, why is that? And I said, you know, I just don't think it's really right. I think it's kind of selfish to make my kids say thank you to me and speak to me in a certain way. And, and uh, I just didn't think it was right. And he lovingly told me how stupid I was. And, uh, and it was. It was really, you know, it sounded good, but it was really, it was really dumb. And here's why. Because what he pointed out is it's not about you asking them to treat you a certain way because you want it. It's understanding that God has placed you in the role of a dad, and that deserves honor. And you're saying, I need to teach you to honor the role of father. And when I failed to do that, I was wrong because I was failing to teach them to honor that which God was said was honorable. And I thank you, you know, I appreciate that wisdom. That was so important. And... Um, when we look at that, it's, it's not only teaching them to honor, but then also to obey. You know, why is it that we're called to obey? Well, because it's called children obey and your parents as unto the Lord. This is right. And a lot of times we even get that wrong. As parents, it's easy for us to kind of tell our kids, well, you do this. And, and we give them the natural, you know, easy ex, you know, reasons of why they need to obey. And, and we have authority based on all these things other than God. And ultimately, they will fall short. So why, for example, some of the reasons, I mean, how many times have you said, you know, why should I obey? Well, basically we tell them we're bigger. Now I'm bigger than you are. If you don't, there's going to be some punishment. There's going to be some consequences. Basically I have power over you and, and we use that authority. We use that power. And that's really common for us. Well, that works until they get bigger. What happens when they, you know, suddenly they're 16 years old and they're a lot bigger than you are. They have that, you don't have that strength. You don't have that power. A real common one is I know more. Well, why should I obey? I know more. I'm older than you. I know these things. You know, you, you, know, you just you need to listen to what I have to say. And that makes sense, and it works for a while. And have you ever had a teenager? You ever had a teenager that thinks that they know a lot more than you do? 
And whether you know more than they do or not, if they think they know more than you do, the fact of the matter is suddenly that argument, you should obey because I know better, suddenly they're rejecting that argument. It works for a while, but it falls short. Or a lot of times, you know, we could just, you know, we volume, we fear, we yell louder, we, you know, we kind of force. And, and again, it may work for a while, but what happens when our kids suddenly get older and the voice of their peers is a lot louder to them than the voice of their parents? Or in my family at times, you know, my dad would say, the reason you obey is the golden rule. You think, what's that? He who has the gold makes the rules. And I mean, it was kind of like, okay, if you, you know, okay, we're buying things, this is, if you want this, you know, you have to obey, you have to align. And again, that works for a while, but what happens when suddenly somebody has money in their pockets? Where you go off to college and suddenly you're less dependent financially, and, and is there any reason to obey, to align ourselves? These all may bring about obedience, but only for a time. Instead, the reason should always be obey in the Lord. And this is something that we need to teach our children, even from the time that they're young, that we say, I'm calling you to obey because this is the way that you obey God. A parent's leadership should be based on God's authority, not our own. It's ultimately, I'm telling them to obey and to align because this is what God says. Now, it might even sound like, you know, well, okay, when they get older, we need to make this. No, even when you're young, your kids are preschoolers. We should be teaching this and modeling this from the time that they're young. Why? Because you're giving them the, if you give them the right reasons when they're young, you're laying a foundation for when they get older. I remember a conversation with one of my kids and, and she was arguing with me about you know, something and she wanted to do something and, and, and I'd said no and she was trying to tell me why all the reasons she was right and I was wrong. And I remember looking at me and saying, well, what if you're wrong about this? And, and now I could kind of take the bait and kind of argue and, you know, well, I know more or this or that. You know, but at that time, I felt God really gave me the right answer. And the, and the right answer at that time was, you know what? I can't promise you that I'm right. I'm not sure. But I can tell you this is way, the way I knew that God established it. I, my responsibility for God is to be your parent, and that is to pray and to seek advice and to make the right decisions. And if I am wrong, I will answer to God for that. There will be a day that I stand before God, and I have to give account for everything that I've done as your dad. Now, God calls you to answer not for things being right or wrong. He calls you to answer whether you've obeyed me. I will answer whether it's right or wrong. That's not between you and me or you and God. That's between me and God. You're just called to say, now obey me because God has put me in this position of authority. Now, I want to tell you that worked for her at that time. Why? Because those are things that I'd been teaching her from the time that she was young. There's a foundations that I laid out for the time that we're young, and that's what we need to teach our kids, to bring them up and then nurture and the admonition of the Lord and destruction of the Lord. And not only to say, okay, here's, you need to obey me, but actually even goes further. Because verse one says, you know, children obey your parents in the Lord. Now look at verse two. It doesn't end there. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. It calls us not to obey, but to honor. And that's even a step further. It goes beyond obedience. What does it mean to honor your parents? Well, it says right there that it actually comes from the Ten Commandments. It's a restatement of the fifth commandment, you know, Deuteronomy and Exodus. And, and the word there, the Hebrew word is kavod. It, it has this idea of heavy or weight. It means give weight. It's actually the same word that's used to describe God's glory and, and the weight of God's glory. So to give honor means to give weight to their position. 
It gives the due weight that they're, because of their position. Now, think about it. This may sound strange, but we, some of us use this terminology. Have you ever heard somebody upset and they say, they don't give me an ounce of respect? You ever heard that? Man they, man, they deserve a ton of respect. Now, what are we saying? We are using this concept, and we understand that there's a sense that there's a weight. There's a weight of respect that people, an ounce is, you know, that's a minimum amount, and a pound would be better, and, you know, two pounds is more, and, you know, hundred, a ton of respect, that's, that's amazing. And what God's saying is that God has placed tons of respect in the position of a parent. Now, it's not because the parent earns it. It's as a, you know, as a child, it's not that you do this because your parent's always right, and as a parent, it's not because you say, well, you, I need to demand this because I'm always right. That's what, that's what somebody had to teach me. It was because God has placed that weight on that position. And so I need to teach my children, honor the weight that God has placed on that position. And, and children, you need to realize that now God has great, placed a great amount of weight. Well, that, that's the Hebrew. Now, if you look in the, in, here in uh, uh, Ephesians, it's actually in Greek. And so he rephrases that, and, and they use a different word, a different Greek word, tomeo. And it has the idea of fixing a right evaluation upon their worth. And when I think of this, I think of, uh, some, how, many, how many of you have ever seen the antique uh, roadshow and on PBS? And it's, it's kind of this unique thing where they'll have you know, people that will go to a, a you know, big auditorium or something, and, and people will bring all, mostly junk, you know, stuff in their attic, and it's kind of like, here's all this stuff, and you have this, this, uh, you know, this person that is evaluating the worth, and most of it is like, oh, this is junk, this is nothing, this is nothing, and every once in a while, they say, oh, here's this clock that you've been having, you know, you're in the basement, and this was from, you know, 15th century England, it's worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and, and, and so they're discovering the value and the worth of something. Now, it's not that the experts make it worthy. They're recognizing the worth. There's something that had been sitting there that no one had thought had any worth, and suddenly they're realizing, no, this has great worth. We're recognizing it, the proper worth. And here's what the command is telling us, is that God has placed great worth and value on the role of parent. And the challenge here is to honor, to recognize that worth, to treat as it has, it has that worth you know, to treat with this, the same worth, the weight, same weight, the same worth that God has placed on that role. And so we're to honor, and the opposite is dishonor. What is that? We dishonor when we show them disrespect. We dishonor when we show our parents a lack of weight, a lack of worth, a lack of value. Now, this is important because when we understand this, honor goes beyond obedience. You see, when we think of verse one, it's children obey your parents. Verse two, it goes further, honor our father and mother. And there's a difference between the two. See, obedience, there's a sense of, okay, I'm going to listen, I'm going to act. But when we think obedience, obedience is, you know, it's just an external conformity. Again, I can have a child, I tell them to do something, and they do it, and they stomp off. I mean, how many times have you, you know, tell your, tell your kids, I'm going to go to your room, they stomp up, they slam the door. You know, I want you to set the table, and they're out there, and they're bad, and they're throwing the silverware all over the place. And they're externally conforming, but internally they're rebelling. You know, even a ch- you know, young child, you know, there's this, you know, the story, you know, it's just, you, know you need to sit down, and it's like, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, and it's just that spirit, that idea of saying it's external conformity, but not a submission of the heart. See, honor is something that is a heart level. 
You can obey without honoring. You cannot honor without obeying. And God calls as you know, children, honor your father and mother. He calls us as parents to teach that and demand that. So it's not just even with our kids. If they've done it and if they've had external conformity, that we're happy. No, we need to actually confront the problem of dishonor, the problem of, of spirit, of attitude. Because a lot of times that's at the core of, you know, of, you know, that's even more important than the external. Now, let me just speak a moment for children. If you're, for those that are still living at home, still living kind of under the authority of, the, of, of your family, what's this telling you about how to, you know, I'm sorry, obedience focuses on behavior, honor focuses on shaping of the heart. God is way more concerned about the heart. That, that's at the core of everything that the Bible teaches. God is concerned about the heart. And if we just look at behavior, that's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees had the outside looked good, they did the right things, but the heart was wrong. So can okay, now for children, what is God calling you to do? Look at again, verse one and two. Children, obey your parents as to the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It calls you, first of all, to obey your parents. It's unconditional. It doesn't mean if you like it, if you agree with them. Um, you know, the only exception would be if your parents to tell you to do something that is clear violation of God's word. Because then they're not, you know, you're not obeying them in the Lord. You always obey God first, but that's unlikely to happen in most cases. And the fact is, is that anything else, you may disagree with them, you might, you know, think that they're wrong, you might not like it, but the fact of the matter is God calls you to obey. And in fact, your obedience isn't evident until you disagree. And ultimately, the question is, are you going to obey or are you going to disobey? Um, you're to obey because that's God's authority over you. And your obedience is your way of obeying God. And when you don't submit to your parents, ultimately it's a way of not submitting to God. It's ultimately rebelling against God because you're rebelling against his authority over you. Um, but you're not only called to obey, you're called to honor. And that honor just doesn't mean, okay, I've done the right things, but it's saying, okay, I give the right, the, the weight that is due them, I give the respect, I, I recognize it's not a question of whether they're right or whether you think they're wise, or it's recognizing that God has placed weight there. God has placed honor in their position and you're called to honor your father and mother. And what does it say? It's actually a command with a promise. God will bless you if you do this. Now, let me come back to the end and something that I referred to in the very beginning. And that is for all of us. That says, what does it call us to as children? Well, children obey your parents, honor your parents. But what we talked about in the beginning is that there's a sense that in this command, we, it speaks to all of us. Why? Because all of us are also a child. I may look at this and say, well, okay, what does it tell me as a parent? What I need to teach my kids? Yes, but at the same time, I am God's child. And it's calling me to realize that I will lead through my example that I will, children are called, you know, there's an example of obedience that we're called to, to, leave, to lead here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We are not the top of that hierarchy. That as a parent, I'm not the ultimate authority in my family. God is my authority. And I need to remember that there's a parallel command here that when God says to me as a parent, okay, this is what you need to teach your children, he's also telling me as his child, now are you obeying me? And we need to realize and admit for better or for worse, the degree that we submit to God, the degree that we honor his authority in our life, or that we don't, will be the example to our children 
that they will then follow as to how they then obey us. And we've got to be careful because a lot of times we can come as parents and we can say, okay, I told you to do this and I'm telling you to obey and, and we're expecting obedience from them and at the same time they're looking at our lives and they're old enough, they're, they can understand and even if they don't understand it at six or seven, they'll get a little older and they'll realize, okay, but mom's doing this and dad's doing this and, and the Bible teaches this and, and what they're doing is totally out of line with what the Bible teaches. And so they're going to look at it and say, okay, why should I submit and obey my mom and dad when they're not obeying and submitting and honoring their heavenly father? Because the authority is ultimately, as I submit to God, that's the authority that I have to now lead my children as well. Moms and dads, the first question is this. Yes, we want to teach our children to obey and, and to honor but the question we have to ask, that I have to ask you is, are you obeying your father? Are you obeying him? Are you honoring him? Are you submitting to his word in your life? And at the end of the day, we can teach you all these other principles, but if your kids don't see that example of integrity in your life, all the things that you say are being undone by what you're saying through your actions and through your words. We're never perfect in that. None of us do this perfectly, and that means at times when we mess up and our kids say it, we should even acknowledge that to them. We need to lead by the example of confession and repentance. You know, I did this, I said this, I'm really wrong, I asked God to forgive me, will you forgive me? We need to lead through that. But we need to realize that it's ultimately our example that is going to teach our kids far more than our words. So I want to encourage you parents, first of all, are you right with God? Do you have that relationship with God? If you don't even have that relationship and you're just saying, I need advice to help my, you know, start with your relationship with God. Do you have a relationship with God as, as your father? Ask him to forgive your sins. Embrace him. That's where we need to start. And for some who have done that, you've wandered away and you're doing things your own way. Again, your ability to be able to, in the long term, parent your children are going to be for, forever hindered by the, by the negative example that you're setting. Get right with God on that. I talked even after the first service to some people looking back and saying, boy, I know I love this bad example and I have seen that with my kids and how do I fix it? You know, all we can do is we can go to our kids and say, here's where I've messed up and I'm sorry and we can start to live a right example from here on in. Where we've messed up till now, you know, we can't, I can't go back and change the things in the past but I can change the future. And some of that is just coming in God saying, God, here's my brokenness, here's my need, and, and I bring that before you. God, help me to be the parent, help me to be even the grandparent that you call me to be going forward. Because this role of parenting never stops. You know, we're still not done with our kids in our 20s, and it won't end in the days to come. But then parents, are you willing to step up and say, God has called me to not be my child's friend. They've got lots of friends. He's called me to be the parent to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Do the hard work, teaching them not only to obey, but, but even to honor. And are you willing to embrace that? We live in a time where our culture, there's such confusion, there's incredible brokenness, there's, there's confusion even what family is. But I love the fact that in the midst of that brokenness, we come back to timeless truth, Stuff that was written, yes, thousands of years ago, but human nature hasn't changed. God's nature hasn't changed. God's truth hasn't changed. And this is every bit as relevant and applicable to our lives as it was the day it was written. And as we live it, as we follow it, 
the impacts will be just as powerful as they ever were.